Well, Brian, Ellen, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yes, I come from Germany. And uh, I have made the experience here that um, most speechwriters come from journalism. And many of them have an academic background. In literature, very often in philosophy, philo uh, philosophical science, pol political science, and history. And usually they start working in the public affairs department or in the marketing department. And one day somebody comes and asks them, can you write a speech for me? And uh, this is how many become speechwriters in Germany. I don't know what your experience is. And many of them are really great. You know, they research the topic well. Uh, they uh, become masters of nice wording and well-sounding sentences. Uh, the question for me, however, is then why are there so many well-written speeches without making or leaving a real strong impact? Uh, a real example was one of my colleagues from the German Speechwriters Association. He consults the FDP. He's a master in linguistic and he's a very good writer. And he consulted the FDP and they're not in government anymore, so they lost the last elections terribly. So there was definitely something wrong in their speeches as well. So I asked myself, what is the background of these really great speeches and speakers? You know, we remember well and often admire. You know, let's talk about Obama. I think we all admire him. Thatcher was great. Clinton was great. And please, when I speak about certain examples, that's not a political issue. I speak from a public speaking point of view. Um, in business, Steve Jobs, yes. And indeed, these often so wonderfully inspiring scientific speeches on TED. So what makes a difference? I researched the issue. I designed a seminar on it. And I would like to share with you some core aspects of the charisma analysis. First of all, I would like to talk a little bit more about credibility. Then I will introduce to you the concept of the charisma analysis, and then for you as speechwriters, probably most important, how actually can you, can you use it in practice? So let's talk about credibility first. The oldest quote I know about public speaking actually comes from Aristoteles. That's something like 300 years before Christ. And he said, my best arguments will be in vain if my partner, means the audience, questions my credibility and is not in the mood to follow my thoughts. What he says here, without credibility, the content is in vain. We, the audience, are simply not in the mood to listen. So what is actually credibility? Where does it come from? What is it based on? <coughs> Let me quote Jim Lur. He's one of the leadership trainers, or was, at Johnson & Johnson in the United States, and he's the author of this uh, remarkable book, the power of engagement. He says three important things regarding credibility. We literally become the architects of our own reality through the story we tell others about ourselves or our organization. Secondly, great leaders manage energy through the stories they tell themselves and others. And thirdly, good stories are grounded in truth are purpose-driven and inspire hope-filled action. Stories drive destiny. So the credibility of any leader, any speaker, actually any person, comes from the story we know means the perception we have about them. 
without that story, without a clear perception of the speaker, I'm afraid we cannot really write a real strong, strong speech. How credibility and story are depending on each other shows the rise and fall, for example, of George Bush. I will come back to him at a later stage. Another example is John F. Kennedy. You know, we all know how his family today tries to save his reputation by avoiding any publication of any unpleasant story or rumor about his presidency. And I'm afraid there are a lot. <laughs> um, a master storyteller in that respect is indeed Obama. When he says, I represent the American dream of equal opportunities, it is not about me, it's about us. I think he makes himself a symbol of the American story. That's creating credibility. So we can conclude here, the success or impact of a speech depends largely on the credibility of the speaker. The speaker is always the center attraction of the event. It is the speaker's personality, leadership quality, and the perception we have about him or her which creates, a which creates the dynamics of the speech, or as I call it, the charismatic impact. And that brings us to the concept of the charisma analysis. Where does this charisma comes from? Which elements or components are involved? What do we have to focus on and investigate? Well, I found five basic elements we need to consider. They actually represent the major components <coughs> of how we intentionally or unintentionally evaluate or judge, respect, and also disrespect any person. So the first component is the name, means the personal reputation. What's the story behind the name? What do we associate with the name when we hear the name? You know, what do we associate with the name of the speaker? What do we identify or sympathize with? And we talk here also about social background or the history. You know, which myth probably even exists about the name? Well, let's come back to Obama. I think he's a good example because we all know him well. Talking about identification, I think we all deeply respect that he made it from a black township in Detroit to Harvard University. Muth, the name of Obama today, symbolizes the core value of the American Constitution. And that's what he says. I represent the American dream of equal opportunities and the right to pursue happiness. And interesting, by the way, how the opposition tried to ruin his reputation by linking one of his first names, Osama, with Osama bin Laden. That indicates how strong the reputation of the speaker's name is in regard of his or her credibility. Once it is ruined, it's actually very difficult to recover. I'll give you an, an example at a later stage. I think other example, uh, impressive examples of strong reputation or even myth is indeed Margaret Thatcher. If once somebody's called the Iron Lady, I think then you are pretty well off. We, we, we have a German politician, Oskar Lafontaine. Uh, they call him Napoleon von the Tsar. Definitely one of the most credible speakers we have. The second component is competence. Yes, we all want, we need competence. So what are the speaker's 
competencies, uh, what is special about him or her, also personal strengths and character traits play a vital role. Uh, something which is uh, widely discussed at the moment, I think we always should consider, is your speaker an introvert or an extrovert? You know, we have these wonderful two pairs, Bill Gates, a very a typical introvert, speaks a total different language than, for example, Steve Jobs. What are the talents and gifts of the speaker you probably can relate to? Obama's dominant features might be the degree from Harvard uh, Law School. I think we, uh, uh, he is really regarded as a very, very gifted speaker, and I think he is. His dynamic leadership style might play a vital role. I think we regard him as tolerant and open-minded. And uh, probably we even admire, or at least did, admire uh, uh, his democratic idealism. Uh, uh, on co key competencies, there's another interesting example, for example, Einstein. You know what Einstein said about himself? My real gift was that I had an amazing imagination. I saw everything. Already when I was 14, I could imagine that the light beam will not be straight all the time. Later I asked myself, how can I prove that by an equation? Or Angela Merkel, you know, Germany. I think you're all familiar with her. She's really a phenomenon regarding uh, our topic because nobody really regards her as a charismatic speaker, but I think she is. You know, she's a scientist, a physicist, which creates a lot of trust in Germans. This is just how we are. We love, we love <laughs> facts and figures, you know, and for Germans, she's a symbol of reliability which is a particular relief after these super dynamic, superficial, rather irritating Gerhard Schröder. I don't know if you, you know. Germans also love her for being humble. That's very important. Very controlled and analytical. All ideals, ideals of German self-perception. I mean, today they call her even uh, uh, Mutti, means mother of the nation. And I think uh, I heard something yesterday in the workshop with Denise, uh, which I also I think is very, very important. Where is that spot where the person is vulnerable? And that she also presents all the time when you know how she started and how she really grew into that presidency. That's really uh, uh, a voyage of uh, getting out of your own vulnerability. And that makes her very human. That's a very important aspect. Let's come to the next component, which from my point of view is the most influential one, and that's motivation. We talk here about objectives, values, attitude, standards we defend, and premises we have. So what is the speaker's real intention, his or her intrinsic motivation? What is, what is their emotional relationship to the audience? You know, what are they really care for? Are they honestly committed to their speech and their course? You know, when I consult speakers, this is one of my first questions. How serious are you actually about that, what you want to say? How important is it for you? Are there any hidden agendas? I think, let's come back to Obama, he was very strong here. You know, yes, we can. When I heard that the first time, I said, how can he say something like that? 
You know, it was, for me, when I heard it the first time, so superficial, but when I understood what he linked it to, you know, when he said, yes, we can, it only worked because he was honestly committed to the core idea of his presidency. That was his core idea of the presidency, that the revival of the American dream is actually possible today. I mean, that's something out of the past. Uh, you might remember that story he told us on that evening of his election in front of the Chicago City Hall. He spoke about this 100-year-old black woman from New Orleans. When she was born, we still lived in slavery here in this country. Today, her children and grandchildren can vote and visit a university. What a memorable moment, what a great idea, whoever, in, whoever speechwriter that was. It stands for his intrinsic motivation of being a true representative of the American dream. This is how we, he won, I think, all our hearts and mind. And this is how you create charismatic impact. Another interesting example comes from German politics. Gregor Gysi, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He is the head of the very, very left-wing, uh, almost communist party in Germany. However, he is the most charismatic speaker or is regarded as the most charismatic speaker in Germany today. However, I don't know anybody who votes for him or his party. <laughs> so how is that possible? You know, he's a socialist, and he, he, he just says this very, very clearly. But he really makes a point out of it by saying, I'm a lawyer. I'm well off. The problem of minimum wage doesn't apply to me. But what's about the millions of people in Germany who live at the edge of poverty? He convincingly conveys his social values and principles. He shows empathy and real compassion. People sympathize with him beyond political party boundaries. That's the interesting thing here, due to his humanity and integrity. But we don't vote for him, and the reason is why. And that brings us to the next component, and this is the corporate identity. We do not vote for him because we deeply mistrust his SED party involvement, the former DDR Communist Party in East Germany under Russian occupation. So corporate identity means how far do we identify with the philosophy, the ideology, the religious belief, or the social belonging of the speaker. We actually talk here about tribal instinct. The conflict between Republicans and liberals in the United States, I think, is exactly based on that. But I think you have that same phenomenon in any other country. Particularly, ideological and religious differences make it often impossible to create trust and credibility. For speechwriters, a big challenge to enter the opposition's territories. I think, for, at least for a while, Obama succeeded there as well. It was amazing. Then there is a fifth component, and this is visuals and acoustics. That means, how does the speaker look like? Looks like the sound of the voice, articulation, um, and for example, accent and dialects. You know, we also talk here about social codes like dress code, body language, mime, and gesture. But due to the time frame of this uh, uh, speech here, I will not go into detail here because this is only a secondary component speechwriters need to consider. 
uh, rather give me uh, another, uh, another chance to look into some other examples to clarify what charisma analysis can do for us. Let's come back to uh, the German Chancellor uh, Gerhard Schröder. He's an impressive example of how to ruin the image or reputation of a party and even the credibility of a whole party. <laughs> yeah, he, he did a fantastic job. <laughs> just elected, just elected, he jumped into an Armani suit and took part in an advertising campaign, smoking Havana cigars and playing some kind of an upper-class winner type of a guy. <laughs> the SPD voters were furious overnight and called him Genosse der Bosse, which means comrade of the capitalists. <laughs> Due to the corporate identity and muse of the SPD, his followers started to dislike him ever since because he betrayed the core values of the SPD. As a result, he lost his position as CEO of the party and his reputation actually never really recovered from that damage. In contrast, Franz Müntefering, a symbol and warranty of authentic German socialism, was elected as his successor, and his first statement was, as long as I am in the SPD, social justice and equality will be always our priority and will never be questioned in German politics. Well, when I saw him on that press conference, I actually thought I listened to the captain of the Titanic. Uh, and uh, I, I must say, unfortunately, I have been right. I think he was a real great, charismatic, strong, uh, speaker. But the SPD actually never recovered from Gerhard Schröder, which tells us what kind of impact credibility actually has. So my final point I want to make is how can we use the charisma analysis in praxis? One of the big questions for me in 2004 was how could George Bush win the second term of elections. Even so, everything was against him. You know, you might remember that um, uh, after the first television debate, nobody gave Bush a chance. It was totally clear that Kerry would win. So what happened? What did the Bush team, uh, how did the Bush team turn the situation around? And for me, personally, most important, who was behind it? Well, the Machiavellian mastermind in Bush's election campaign team, to my knowledge, was his personal consultant, Karl Rove. I think he's one of the best hated men in the United States. <laughs> this is why I call him Machiavellian mastermind. He used the components of the charisma analysis in the following way. Let's first have a look at John Kerry. I think we identify him with Heinz Ketchup, East Coast establishment and tradition. Competence, intellectual, highly academic, public prosecutor, facts and figures orientated, very analytical. Intrinsic motivation, Carey expressed it in the following way. And I quote, before I started with this election campaign, I visited my mother in the hospital. And she told me to keep three things in mind, always in mind, integrity, integrity, integrity. Kerry serves also quite as quite a good example for the uh, component of visuals and acoustic. 
I don't know if you remember his body language. I mean, he sliced every thought into pieces. He was amazing. And how he spoke, you know, everything was presented with a strong, determined voice, controlled, rational, focused, and very well structured. I think he portrayed the typical upper-class East Coast academic behavior. So George Bush. Rove said to Bush, don't even think of competing with Carrie's charisma components. You stand for Texas boy, Bush family values, Southern tradition, barbecue, oil and money, religion, horses and guns. <laughs> and you know how Bush turned it into, into language? In the debate he said, I met my wife at a barbecue, at, at a backyard barbecue. I mean, please, in a political debate. That was, but that was exactly what people could identify him with. Competency. Rove decided, don't mention your Yale education. I mean, he's an educated guy, too. And instead, Bush said something. I mean, then I was really, I was sitting there, and I said, well, this is really too much. My wife speaks, speaks better English than me. <laughs> so his whole attitude was problems we do not solve with science or ratio, but with religion and guts. And his intrinsic motivation might have been, whatever happens, we try again because God is with us. So from a public speaking point of view, I think his very final statement, and that was his very last chance to say something to the American public, I think he did something really amazing from a public speaking point of view. While Carey sums up the facts and figures of liberal political correctness, Bush uses imagination and a strong narrative. He said, in my office, I have a painting by the Texan artist Tom Lee. It shows the sunrise, not the sunset. It does not look back. It is a symbol of hope, future, and optimism. Every new day offers a chance for a new beginning. So to sum this up, Rove analyzed all five components of both speakers to identify what Bush needs to do and say, to clearly distinguish himself from his opponent, and to synergize with the perception of his potential voters, particularly in the Midwest and South of the country. After all the political turmoil and failure of his presidency, what could he make them still believe, identify with, or admire in Bush. Rove's strategy succeeded. I mean, he won the election. Uh, by the way, somebody else who did exactly the same thing is Benjamin Netanyahu in his, re in his recent election in Israel. His team simply redefined the winning edge of his charismatic impact. So he won the election. In essence, ladies and gentlemen, the charisma analysis helps us to define what our speaker stands for regarding myth, core values, competency, character traits, intrinsic motivation, or passion and determination. Secondly, how we want him or her to be recognized in public, how to create a corporate perception or personal image. And thirdly, from which angle or point of view we want to create our speech, find the appropriate wording, images, and narratives, and finally, to define the winning edge 
of our argumentation. Credibility <coughs> makes a difference between a nice common speech and the speech that is truthful, purpose-driven, and inspires hope-filled action. Thank you very much. Thank you.